Hello and welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real with Stephanie Fernandez. I'm Stephanie, your podcast host, rapid transformational therapist and founder of Your Freedom Program. I work with women who want to take back their life, returning to themselves on their healing journey. In this podcast, we give the stage to women who overcame adversity and trauma or difficult phases in their lives. Be ready to get raw emotions from real people. The stories we share here are to inspire women just like you that anything is possible. In today's episode, we will be talking about abusive and traumatic relationships. The amount of women who experience abusive relationships is mind-blowing. Abusive behavior where the intimate partner intends to exert power and control over another affects one in three women worldwide. 85% of domestic violence victims are women. Women between the ages of 20 to 24 are at greatest risk. This can include physical violence or threat of physical violence to get control, emotional or mental abuse, and sexual abuse. Today's guest is Grace McCormick. Grace ended an emotionally abusive relationship of 14 years, finding strength to raise three children by herself. Hello, Grace, and welcome to the show. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming forward and sharing your story with us today. Like so many women around the world, you live the life with an emotionally abusive partner. Please tell us your story today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, the, the story of abuse, I think, starts, um, we don't even perhaps even know when we're choosing a partner, especially for young, um, but it starts with childhood trauma or, or, or perceived trauma. You know, some people have a perception of their childhood, which we want to say is real. Other times, um, when as people get older, when they think they were traumatized as they were younger, they realize they weren't as traumatized as their friends or other people. So, um, but I'm going to start with my childhood, which I felt was really beautiful and wonderful. And I grew up in the Midwest of the United States on Lake Michigan and had a, you know, wonderful family and extended family. Um, but I didn't know until I was, I was getting older that, um, you know, my dad had trauma because he lost his father at 13 years old. My grandfather was 46 and that changed the fabric of their family. It's multi-generational trauma. And my grandmother was pregnant with the seventh child and went on then to raise seven kids in 1956, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with no income and put one foot in front of the other. But there's dynamics there within the old family. And and my dad was kind of told, well, you have to be the man because, you know, your dad's not here. So he, as he got older, was very loving, a very loving, wonderful man and dad and an example in the community. But he was a functional alcoholic. And you wouldn't know that unless you knew. And, you know, things weren't talked about as much in the 70s and 80s as they are now. And my mom, who also enjoyed her cocktails, it's also a Midwestern trait as it is in many countries around the world. You know, there's some that have higher drinking rates per capita than others. Um, Wisconsin's kind of known for, for, you know, cocktailing and that generation did. And so my mom would drink with him, but my mother, what I didn't know until I was older was sexually abused by her grandfather. And she wasn't believed about that. So you start with those dynamics of people that even in that generation that didn't understand healing, 
and healing themselves because they didn't, there was shame and there were all these different things put into that where you're just supposed to buck up and put one foot in front of the other and not, not um, feel your emotions Mm -hmm. because you just had to survive. And, you know, our generation or my generation, and I'm an Xer is very different. I'm on the beginning of generation X, which is a pretty broad generation like the boomers are. Um, So I got married very young. I had this whole Cinderella version of what I thought a relationship was without any experience. And I didn't really have intimate relationships or partnerships prior to getting married at 21. And the person that I married, um, you know, now I look back on it. He definitely love bombed me, but I didn't know that. I was very young, impressionable, got swooped up in what I thought was this great romance. And, you know, and, and married, he proposed within a month. We were married, engaged in six months and married in a year. And I had my first child at 23. And then I had another child four years later. And by the time, you know, and we were in and out of counseling at that point, but I didn't understand that I was with someone who was not only financially abusive and financial abuse is a big thing that is starting to be talked about more. Um, I didn't even understand that when I was not allowed on our accounts, not allowed, um, allowed, I mean, really to, um, have my own account, not allowed to have co-credit cards with my partner. I wasn't in a partnership, but I was in a control ship. I was, a, you know, I was with a nurse, an overt malignant narcissist from what I understand now who projected everything onto me, all this stuff. And that starts to eat away at you, but somehow I had some reserve of who I knew who I was, but I went through some things that I've never even talked about and may never talk about publicly because I, I've moved through it. And I also know that it was that at those aspects where we, it takes two in a relationship, but if you're with someone so completely disordered, you really are a victim. And it's like, I've never said I'm a victim. I don't want to ever be that victimhood, but you are, especially when you're young and don't understand the dynamics of how other people operate from their own traumas and their generational traumas. So you can't change someone who's a narcissist. And Um, but I would literally get a weekly envelope, but this is for the people out there too, that are in financially abusive relationships. And especially for women, um, that, you know, he would give me an envelope every week with like a two red T bars. One was 125 us dollars for whatever I wanted to do a week, get my hair done. I didn't even do my nails back then. I kind of this, you know, granola, you know, just earthy kind of woman and, and, you know, or anything I wanted to do, that was my budget. Then a hundred dollars a week for a family of at that time four for food, diaper. And if I went over budget, I had to produce receipts. If I went over budget, I had to pay back the family nut out of it. And he was making a lot of money. It was crazy. It was so, I didn't realize how abusive it was till the years were going on. And what I did is I would get out credit cards behind his back to get the things we needed for the house. And then when, then he'd find out that I was, of course, I was out of integrity with myself in that, but I didn't understand the dynamics. And even in counseling, it was constantly being put on me, all of his projections, which when you're with someone that disordered and narcissistic, they project everything onto you. So um, when I finally left that marriage, we, we had moved from New York 
to Arizona. And I finally had the, the chutzpah and I was terrified to leave the relationship. Cause I'm like, I, I stayed home all those years. How am I going to support my children who are all under the age, like 11 and younger? Um, but I, I, you know, I, and I was kind throughout the process. I didn't, I never cheated. I've never, you know, been unfaithful to any relationship. Not that some people have different types of agreements, but I'm just monogamous and, you know, sexually and emotionally. And, um, and so when I left the marriage, I was pretty terrified and then try to leave a narcissist. Oh boy. Especially someone that malignant. It was like, he wanted revenge. And, and I get, I didn't serve him. Um, I didn't embarrass him. It was, he was embarrassed because I left him and he told everybody I was cheating on him. He told, I don't even know what he told people, but he told people a lot of stories. And then when he finally moved out and moved back to the East coast to New York, he was calling and emailing anybody he could from the housekeeper to the pool service people to the pest control people, anybody that he could denigrate me to by email or otherwise he did. And it was really sadistic. And, and even we had this, you know, the divorce took several years. It was a nightmare. Every bit of it. I I had to get a second attorney um, because the first attorney I had was a shyster. That was a whole nother story. But two years later, um, the, my, my closest friend since I was six, who is one of the top lawyers in the United States, literally said, we're finding you a new lawyer. She wired $5,000 to this lawyer. It's just like 15. This is 2004. And I had a new attorney. And when he finally settled it, he goes, I know he's got money. Hidden. I know this. I know that. But we just need to get you divorced because you're going to walk away with negative whatever out of this and three children to support. So um, my attorney said to me at the end of this, when we signed off and I got the portion for the house, you know, there was some money coming to me from that. He said, I have to ask you this. How did you even like get with this guy? How did you even like meet him? And, and he said, I have to tell you in all my years at that point, 25 years of practicing family law, I have the top three craziest ex partners and yours is in that top three. So, you know, I, and I don't want to say that validation helps, but because when you are in an abusive relationship, especially emotional abuse, it's very confusing. And because you're the projected on, so you start taking all of their stuff on thinking it's you. And not that, again, there's always two people communicating from their unhealed wounding, but it gets very confusing. And, um, and I started healing, I started working with uh, victims of domestic violence. And I'm grateful for even this year, the show Made that came on Netflix, starring Andy McDowell and her daughter, because I feel that was, even though it had a Hollywood ending, um, in that limited series, at least it's people are now talking and having the conversation like you are in the work you're doing, um, Stephanie, to talk about emotional abuse. And I feel all abuse begins with emotional abuse. And then it's chipping away at your soul. Like, and sometimes it's, you see it and you feel it. It's like screaming or whatever it can be. But if you're in a love relationship or what you think is a love relationship, it's very, very confusing, especially I feel when you're younger, yeah. but I will take that back in a minute because I recently got out of my third relationship with the covert narcissist. Um, so, but, but going back to my marriage, um, what became even more 
devastating was six years post-divorce when my former spouse was living in New York. Um, my children were with me in Arizona and I moved to Los Angeles and with my two younger ones and my oldest um, basically was kind of starting college at that time. She was 18 anyway. And so I got there and I got in this situation with housing where the city of LA knocked on my Bel Air door saying it was like, you know, this house is, what do they called it? Uh, the guy who had owned the house had passed away in the house. Even though I had a shaman clear all the energy, there was like still stuff there. And literally um, they issued a substandard order on the property and, and said, you need to move and get a lawyer. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, what? So in all of that, there's a bunch of stuff that happened. And my ex-husband, when my kids went to go visit him that summer, didn't return them to me. And filed in the New York courts that I had abandoned my children, even though they were living with me. We had joint custody. Um, and, and we were in a custody case two years, for two years, six years post-divorce with, for my two younger children. One was in middle school and one was in high school. So like uh, 11 and 14 years old. And they were being told to lie to me. They were being... Again, they were being abused, but they didn't know that. And it was, and my father was diagnosed with cancer at that time. So I was traveling back and forth from LA to Wisconsin to see my father, flying back and forth to New York to be in this ridiculous custody case with my, you know, almost my teenage children, essentially. And we had two different judges. The second judge said, you know, you guys have like, you've been divorced a long time. I don't like getting involved in these things. Figure this out for your kid's sake. And my lawyer at the time said, and I loved, my attorney was wonderful. Um, she said, well, what do your kids want? And because she said, you have a very strong case, but it's going to cost you a minimum of 150,000 plus expenses, 150,000 US dollars to go to trial. If this goes to trial. And nobody knows if they're going to win. It's family law. And the system is broken. And people can, and I'll get to that, but people can, especially narcissists, they can trick or say things in the system. And he's, you know, my ex is in securities law, basically. He's in compliance. So he just knows the system. And so she said, you know, or we could flip up, you know, or we could just not go to trial. The kids live with him. We flip up the custody agreement. And you know, what is it, another four years for your son, you know, six, seven for your daughter. But it was still very devastating to even think of that. So I said to the kids, what do you want to do? And they had their own attorney as well, but they're assigned an attorney by the state. But um, my son said, mommy, he's like, I'd rather live with you than dad, but I don't want to start another high school, which I completely understood. And he said, and it's, maybe it's going to get to know dad at this point. So I said, that's fine. He goes, but Maggie should live with you. And I'm like, of course, this should have never happened. But so in the end, my children wound up living with their father for those years. And, but the interesting piece is you cannot take love away. And I know there's other people that go through things like this. Um, I call it the hijacking. My kids were hijacked by their own dad. Um, because he even said, I would, I would never take my ch the children from their mother. And I, this, and I, and I like the way he was talking. The interesting piece though, Stephanie, is at this point, all these years later, the kids are now in their twenties and and they're my only children, my three children. And my youngest daughter, who is about to start grads, graduate school and move away from living with her father, she can't wait to get out. It's just very expensive to, to live on your own in New York City. 
But she said to me a few months ago, she said, mom, I had this huge fight with dad. I mean, he's very abusive, especially to her. And I think the girls remind him of me. And, um, and that's really interesting in itself because it's, again, this is the cycle of abuse continues. And when she turned to her dad and she's an undergrad in psychology and she said, you're the most narcissistic person, dad. And no wonder you're losing all your friends. Nobody can be around you. And he has been in and out of psychiatric hospitals for the last several years. So while I, again, I don't want to say that it doesn't feel good because it's my children that, are, that it still affects. Um, it's validating to a certain degree to even hear from them that, you know, even their uncle said, now I kind of have an understanding of what your mom must have been going through. So how does that apply in my life now? Well, what happened after all of that, which it's never gone, it's still in my DNA, it comes into your, your, your psyche is I did a lot of healing work and work on myself. I did, uh, you know, worked with a therapist for quite some time. I didn't, I dated, I was dating different men, you know, post-divorce and, but I never got into an intimate, into a serious relationship. And then I went off um, after all of this happened with my, the court case, I should have not been online dating. And I got online on, on like one of those sites and I met someone who I don't know that I want to say I even I would, didn't fall in love with him, but we were seeing each other and then we were intimately involved. And then I realized he was lying about stuff. And I remember having this conversation with him where I was kind of like, do you like to lie about things? Like, is this something you do? And it wasn't like an accusation. It was just a conversation. And it was more about finding out like where he's coming from. But there were red flags all over the place. <laughs> Yet I went off to the Midwest with him to visit and wound up living with him for a little over a year and a half. And at the beginning, everything seemed fine and loving and like that we were like in a love relationship. And I felt love from him, but he had never been in counseling and he'd been sexually molested as a child. And I didn't know that. And all of those things came out. And then he started screaming at me. And I said, you have to go live with your dad. And I moved his stuff out. Like it got to a point where there was, again, I was being re-traumatized and I was, I'd learned this meditation technique called transcendental meditation, which is really wonderful. And it's taught, um, it was brought to the, the West by the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in the sixties, who was the guru to the Beatles. All the, all the Beatles meditated with this technique. Um, anyway, I learned that technique, which really helped my trauma. And uh, then I eventually, after I ended that relationship and lost my job, um, I wound up doing something called the cities where I went into like a deeper meditation experience. And then I kind of, I, I, I've never moved away. I used the technique, but I then dove into other healing modalities like um, sound healing is spectacular and really helpful and different other types of meditation. Um, and I really didn't date. Like I, I fell in love with a famous actor's youngest brother. We, it didn't work out, not for any bad reason, but he had some addiction issues. And I saw that and we're friends. And, and then I met someone, I finally decided to get back online. And this was, you know, cause you know how many years I've been divorced for 17 years. So how does trauma ever leave you? It never leaves you. And it can get re-triggered. And we hope that we make better choices as individuals when we go into intimate partnerships. 
but we carry this stuff with us deeply within us, not just from our parents. And I feel like no matter how much work I do on myself in this lifetime and healing work and, you know, that's why hypnotherapy is actually interesting to me right now um, is it's always with us. And there's always opportunity for more healing and growth because something may come up that we thought, Oh, over here. Oh, I healed that. Oh no, no, no. It's not even about triggers, right? It's about it, we're human beings in this human pain body. And I walk through life with this open, loving heart. That's who I am. And I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm my Claire's that I'm clairvoyant. I definitely have like clairaudient and I'm clairescent. So when I know intuitively things are off, I hear it and I feel it. The thing of it is, is sometimes our human uh, heart or human mind wants it, but we're projecting our own, what we think this is on things. So I met this guy. I've never been on Tinder. I met this guy um, during pandemic and he was on the West coast and I was in the Midwest and he grew up, went to the same, went to high school a mile and a half from me. Um, everything looked good on, on, on paper. Good, amazing job. Been with this company 22 years. He'd been married and divorced. He told me twice, which again, I don't want to, you know, I don't look at, I don't judge people that they've been married and divorced a few times any more than someone who's not been married at 50. There's a reason though, right? But I don't go a red flag because of that. You, I hear people's stories. I listen. I'm empathetic. Well, sometimes certain people, especially very disordered people, prey on people that have certain qualities. I don't want to say like myself, but that are loving and empathetic. And they can mirror our qualities. That makes sense. So I got involved with someone who I had no idea was a covert narcissist. And covert versus overt, what's the difference? Covert, you don't even see it coming. Except I did. Because two weeks into the relationship, when he was love bombing the heck out of me and saying, now I look back on it and I'm just like, ah, when he was saying to me, um, you know, I love you. You're so unique. I've never met anybody like you. I see who you are. Um, nobody's understood me the way that you have. Oh, my exes were all mentally unstable. I mean, I've had my own stuff, right, with unstable relationships. But and, and so it was interesting. So he wanted to move in together very quickly. And. I really felt that he was, this was it. This was the universe bringing this person just the way that it all transpired and mutual people we knew. And he went to high school with my brother-in-law and just different things. As soon as we moved in together in January of last year, I didn't understand what was happening, but the devaluation that happens when you're with a narcissist or someone disordered, maybe even cluster B personality. And I'm, I'm like a core freak. I'm doing all this research now, even more than I ever did. But it starts with the love bombing, which my therapist, who is a shaman also, said, you knew two weeks in, your intuition knew. He said, you're not codependent. He said, what you did is you didn't, you looked away from your own intu intuitive. You're like, I literally, my body was screaming at me. Something wasn't quite right but a young part of me or a very idealistic part of me was like, no, he's the one that I've been waiting for this relationship. And the trauma piece is in, in all of it, the layers of it in our life. And again, back to the DNA piece. Um, so I, 
uh, was being devalued as soon as we moved in together. Only I didn't know it. I was confused. I was in this state of confusion because we're having all this wonderful hot sex, shower, steamy, like this beautiful, like, I love you, baby, blah, blah, blah. But there were these little pieces, I call it breadcrumbing, of things that were showing up. And I remember one day in the kitchen in our house on the West Coast, he turned to me. I don't remember what he said, but it was so cruel. It hit me in the heart like something like shot me. And I turned and I looked at him and I just said, why, why did you say that? That, that like was cruel. And I had tears in my eyes because I was stunned. And he's like, oh, I was just joking. I'm sorry, baby. So that was the beginning of it. And it went on for the good, better part of the year. His daughter, who was with us part-time, who was 16, started cutting herself in the spring. She never cut herself with us. Now I look back on this relationship because what happened was in September, she went into the hospital for 10 days. And when she came out, it was literally like, that was when the discard, started, the brutal discard of narcissistic abuse happened. And he would... He, knowing I'd been in a relationship where I'd been cheated on before, was, oh, baby, I want to show you something. And he'd pick up his phone and he'd go, oh, and all of a sudden there'd be like some hot chick on TikTok. Or he was doing all these really, really, even on our one-year anniversary, he took his daughter out to dinner and didn't take me out. We were going, we lived together. And the one good thing, Stephanie, in all this is even though I chose another person like this in my intimate partnerships, it's still an opportunity for growth and to never do this again and to do relationship in a completely different way. Um, I wrote something. Can I share? Is that okay if I share something? Yeah, sure. Um, just about narcissist. And again, I don't want to say everybody I've been with is a narcissistic person, but it seems that way. And, and again, the, the interesting thing with my therapist who, he said 40 years of family therapy, and he has worked with kids that self-harm and he's worked with couples and he is a shaman is trained shamans all over the world. Um, thank God. When we went to go to move in together, I said to my then boyfriend, let's get on some calls with him. The therapist, we saw my therapist more last year for couples work than we did, than I did individually. I maybe saw my therapist three times. And at the end of this, he said to me, I was waiting for something like this to happen. And if I was to diagnose your ex-partner with anything, it would be major addictive disorder. And I, he recommended a YouTube narcissistic abuse channel for me. So here I am at the end of all this, right? Like, how do I, how do I keep drawing this in? And how can I shift this narrative once and for all? Because I don't think I'm the first person to choose that to begin with. And I'm not the first person to keep choosing it, even not even aware of it. But there's something in me that needs to shift it and take relationships so slow. The thing that I do say is had I not moved in with this person so quickly, he would have loved, kept love bombing me from afar while he was sleeping with everybody else up on the other coast. So I made a choice to now make other choices in my, if I ever get involved with anybody again, <laughs> but um, anyway, so that's kind of my story, my long-winded, the theme is, <laughs> what would you say the theme is, Stephanie? I can see there's a recurring theme of adversity, and I am particularly interested in how aware you are of it, and how self-compassionate you are 
with yourself, really. Um, because a lot of women I work with, I think this is the hardest to um, move away from the victimhood and the blame because the woman, woman is often the first one to blame. Why didn't you leave the gaslighting? You know, or what the guy did. It was just choking. You, you really doubt yourself. You start thinking there's something wrong with you. And when you talk about trauma, you are very aware of where you're coming from and the conditioning that you couldn't escape, which is part of your family history. And I love how compassionate you are towards yourself about this. What do you think helped you to achieve this state? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of Oh, now you tear up. I'm sorry. I didn't want to make okay. you cry, but it, it's really unique, Grace. It's, I look at myself first and everything, like how, what did I contribute or what is this? Again, because we do, we think it's something that we're doing wrong. And, and, um, and what I feel is important is we share our stories at this point. People are starting to speak up and I've been doing that. I've written some articles. I changed my name, my nickname to Grace a few years ago. My, I, I used to be Tracy. So there are some articles under Tracy online. And I'm, I'm going to be co-writing a book with a well-known journalist about emotional, about abuse, about, but especially how it begins. And, um, and, and in terms of your question, I, I just keep looking inside and I feel like the different healing modalities are helping me. And then having like being emotionally aware that, you know, it's odd because this last person I was with was like, you're the most emotionally intelligent woman I've ever been with. And he's telling this to people, but he wants that because it's like, he was a tank commander in the military before he ran this companies running on the West coast. So he had special training to psychologically profile people especially doing what he did. And, and, and so he was almost doing this with me and kind of getting off on it. Right. It sounds really weird to say that, but right now where I'm at, I'm four months out of this. I left and drove 2,400 miles away, but it was also almost like I was pushed out the door and it was shocking. And I was, I was, we had this house together. Our, both of our names were on this house. Um, and he said to me, oh, no, baby, we're not breaking up. I, we just need, you're right, you're right. We need to take some space. We never even had an argument, not even an argument. We would have these discussions. I'd ask questions. Narcissists don't like questions. They want to be in control. They, it's all their way or the highway. And with him, again, it was so covert. But he was cheating on me the whole time. And there were little signs. And then even, you know, Myron said, oh, no. He said, like, multiple people and very perverse. And and even on that, on a, on a physical level for us, whether you're a man or a woman, because there are female narcissists out there, obviously, but how do we as women though, like when we take a man in physically, there's such an imprint left. And when they do the whole thing with the eye gazing, which is another form of abuse, right? There's, so I don't know. I, I feel like I just keep moving through it. And I'm really, again, if I ever, I'm not going to give up on, feeling love, giving love, being love, you know, being it really got to be it first. And I feel I am that, um, but I'm going to guard my heart in a different way going forward. It's just, it's more, I'm going to be more discerning than I've ever been. And I feel like my journey's been that discernment is part of my journey mm -hmm. in this lifetime. 
um, and, and, and helping others heal through sharing my story and stories. Um, because especially with this relationship, I really thought I'd chosen correctly. And so I'm going through a lot right now dealing with that part of it because it's been very confusing. And when it comes to me, cause I work, I have my own company and I now have like more clients as COVID has kind of shifted. Things are picking up again. And, but, um, you know, and I've been success, successful in building my business over the years. I've had multiple businesses, but you know, even from that first marriage, only marriage, you know, it's taken me 20 years to create what I have out of, I could say pull rabbits out of hats, but by sheer will and determination as women, we are the gatherers of our world. Men are the hunters. And I don't want to, not some men are gatherers too, but you know, just from a, a caveman standpoint or cave person standpoint, um, we have the ability to do multiple things and create, we are creators just by the, the nature of being this divine feminine. So, um, yeah, I just, I'll keep on continuing to heal. I'm working with my therapist and I'm about to start some equine therapy, which has been really good for me in the past with horses and trail riding. And that's just wonderful. Sound healing is amazing. And I also believe in having like, you know, therapy, but shamanic sessions too, working with different shamans, um, never done ayahuasca or other things that people recommend. And, and I'm grateful because I'm not on any, um, any medication, but take vitamins and occasionally take um, CBD, THC uh, gummies for sleep. Because what happens now with trauma, for my trauma specifically, is I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I definitely have post-traumatic stress disorder from this. And I, I don't know if it's CPTSD, but I wake up and all I can do is hear the little things that were said and they were so subtle and they're so insidious that it's heartbreaking. And um, it was just like I was set up the whole time. So I do want to share this bit, um, if you don't mind, So I keep talking. Please, please. <laughs> um, but uh, so just kind of a narcissistic awareness, um, like they don't ever find a better person because even when you're leaving it, you think they're leaving you for someone better when they discard or the, however it's done. Um, but they're kind of fine people that don't know better. If that makes sense. Not that I don't know better, or have an awareness, but it's because once you, once you're, they mirror you and then you idealize them or think, wow, this is it, which I did with this last person. Well, you know, once you catch on to the lies, to the cheating, to the gaslighting, especially they discard you and they move on to the next person. They've already had other people because they never don't have what just one person. They have to have some validation from so many multiple sources. Um, and then when you're like, again, I caught my last relationship, I caught him in a lie where I asked his daughter, I was like, Oh, sweetie, when are you going to do your theater thing? This is the night before the end of the relationship. When, and this is October. When are you going to one of your theater performances? She's like, oh, next Wednesday and Thursday. Meanwhile, he had just told me that Wednesday and Thursdays were going to be the new nights that she had therapy and group therapy. And my whole body froze. And we went into the movie theater and she went to the bathroom, the restroom. And I just turned to him and I said, I didn't say what, 
I didn't accuse him of lying to me. I said, why did you tell me this when Clara said that? Are you accusing me of lying to you? Never held hands again. He tried to make love to me the night before I left. He was hysterical. I love you, I love you, I love you as I was leaving. When I left to drive across the country, he kept texting. He wanted to talk. And then he he wanted to talk and I allowed it because I wasn't going to talk with him for at least a week. He said, we're not, we're, we're just, we're still together. I'm not, I, I don't want to date anyone. Meanwhile, on security camera that Friday night, I'm not even out of the house four days and he was going on a date. And then by a week later, all of our photos were down. I could see that our photos were down. We weren't broken up. I waited a month and then I ended the, I ended the relationship by email after I asked for him to send the rest of my stuff, my belongings. And I said, um, you know, I said, Brad, I said, I, um, from my perspective, our relationship is irreparable. And I said, you broke my trust into a thousand pieces and I wish you well, I will not be contacting you anymore. And that was it. And I never heard back, but I wanted to go shut the door because, and, and my therapist said, go no contact. You go, you have to go no contact. You have to delete him off your social media. You have to unfortunately delete his family because she wouldn't have a relationship with any of them if it wasn't for him. And so all of that was really like disturbing. Right. But I've not heard from him and nor have I reached out nor will I. And if he ever, what they call hoovered me came back and tried to, you know, there's nothing to say. What he did is it's unforgivable and it's okay. I think we're also taught as women to be nice and I am nice and really loving and nice, but that loving and nice isn't about having to even forgive someone. And I think our society is also really put this on, well, you've got to forgive because then you got to forgive yourself. Well, I've gone through all these processes before. Sometimes you could just move on and have compassion Mm -hmm. for, for their wounding too, because he's, you know, they come from their own wounding, but protect your own heart at all costs. And that's no contact period. Um, so the thing too, with people like this is they're, they're not even like, again, you're not even out of the relationship and they're on, they're already got other people. And, um, so, you know, and I kind of wrote this, like, you know, like a guarantee. I know that, that they groom people to be in a relationship with them. So when they're found out like he was in the different ways that things were happening, um, cause they, they can't be by themselves. I love being by myself. I, I did before the relationship, you know, and it's coming to that piece of self-love, which takes years to get, you know, some people have it. I look at my youngest daughter who's 21 and I'm like, how is she so like, she's just, I mean, and, and she knows like she's in therapy too, but she's just like solid in her choice because she's seen things. And because I've been very emotionally, um, like I don't sit and denigrate her dad to her. I, I, I hold space for her. I hold space for my kids because that's all we can do for our children too. And obviously if they're being abused by a parent or someone in the family or anybody just to hold space for them, but also to help protect them in any way that you can. Yeah. Um, but you know, with people that are that disordered, everything's always about them yeah. ultimately. And, um, and so I wrote this too, because they're love bombing the new one, being on their best behavior, and then they get trapped, you know? Um, they portray themselves, whether, you know, 
as husband or wife material, which he did this last relationship, all of like my, my middle relationship, not so much. He was, he was a mime and a clown and a stand-up comedian. He was, a, you know, he was a, a creative, um, which I adored, but, but certainly these, the first and last serious relationships were seemingly picture perfect on the outside. And, um, but you know, they were arrogant mm-hmm. and, I was watching my late, late last partner just, I brought his daughter who lives in Florida out for uh, Father's Day as a surprise. His ex-wife actually used her points, but it was, we, we arranged it. It was really sweet. And I was watching him almost be cruel to his daughter. He was rolling his eyes at her and he rolled, used to roll his eyes at his ex-wife that I knew. I didn't know he had, a, had three wives until we were living together for several months. Kind of like, oh, by the way, I actually was married three times. And I asked him about the first marriage and I said, you know, well, like, you know, what happened? And she was German and they came to the States after he got out of the military. He said that she cheated on him. He's never talked to her since, but now I know (laughs) that it was the opposite. And the second wife who he said was mentally unstable, he's had a codependent relationship with three years, but now he's not really talking with her. She lives in Florida. And then the third wife, lived like a mile and a half from us. And it was the most codependent co-parenting relationship that my therapist who worked with us said he's ever seen in 40 years of treating patients. And so that was a huge thing. Like we were making love in in July and this is what narcissists do too. We're making, we made love. We're laying there in bed, holding each other. He picks up his phone because he was attached to his screens, every screen, gaming, you name it. And he's texting his ex-wife at 11 o'clock at night. And I was so shocked. I got up out of bed. I was like, start naked, pacing around the room. And I didn't yell or anything. I'm like, I said, what are you doing? Like, we just made love in your tech. Well, I, I forgot. I'm like, what I realize now that I didn't realize then he did it on purpose. He was doing all these things to get reactions out of me. But the thing of it is he wasn't really getting the reactions probably that most people would give because I was just trying to understand him and love him and not realize he was abusing me. He was that insidious, Stephanie. Great. So th- that's where it's really tricky, right? With, yeah. Because it's almost like, pre- like a predator. He's like a predator. Yeah. yeah. What, what would What's, you recommend women that go through that? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. What I'd recommend at this point, just from based on my own personal experiences and everyone's are different is take your time getting to know someone. And if it's meant to be, it will be long distance relationships. I'm sure some people can make them work, but how well do you ever really know someone until you live with them? And so if you can be friends and then you can take your time and just love yourself to begin with, like we we have to just really have that self-love. I think that if I didn't have that and some support, good, like really loving friends that have seen me through some things and my therapist, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, because I've had, I've had a rough few weeks myself and where the world is, is in a rough state with yeah. war yeah. and the impending world war three and mm-hmm. COVID is still around and, and that's triggered and traumatizing people in different ways. Um, so I would just, you know, gosh, take walks, get out in nature. That's like, that's our temple. Our temples also our body and nourish yourself. Take like Epsom salt baths. If you are going through trauma you know, essential oils and Epsom salt baths, or if you can go to a sauna or a steam room or whatever 
helps nurture you. And even like, this sounds corny too, but like soothing foods, like Ayurvedic foods, like Ayurveda is a really wonderful, um, you know, wonderful way of being. There's different types of massage, ancient massages called Abhyanga and things that just, you can nurture yourself with. Um, because when we, you know, just quiet solitude, because when we are traumatized and then re-traumatized, we just need to self-care as much as we can. Yeah. And I love how you look into alternative ways of healing. It seems we have lost those, uh, you know, in the course of history. There's so much nature can give us. I love that you work with all those different healers, with shamans, and but but still, you know, do your therapy and do the inner work that you are so committed to do. That's amazing. And, just, and have fun, like have joy because it's, you know, we, we find the joy in it. Yeah. I find like during the day I'm pretty, sometimes I have a little tear here and there, or like I get, or something comes up all of a sudden I'm like, whoa. But then what happens is usually at night when I go to sleep and wake up at two and three, I'm like, all right, Do I want to take some breathe easy tea or do I want to do a little yeah. <laughs> or a gummy yeah. or, or do I just want to meditate for a few what, what will help me get back to sleep? Because I start getting in that, mm. that it's post-traumatic stress and I get that I can't sleep. Yeah. And that's not good either. because that, you know, of course, um, inflames our body, our nervous system and can cause other issues. Yeah, right? There's a wonderful movie. Um, friends of mine, people I know that are, are in Topanga in Los Angeles, California made called heal H E A L. It's a wonderful film about even just, not just what we surround ourselves with, but what we eat and put in our bodies. Um, how can we heal? Because so much of our, so much disease comes from, from stress and from the ways we cope with stress. Yeah. So. Thank you so much for sharing your story today with us, Grace. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm sure like, you are so inspiring If there is one woman that you help with today sharing your story, the ripple effect you see is, it's just, you know, it, it will be there. And I'm wishing you all the best on your journey. And if people would like to reach you, how can they reach you? If they would like to get in touch with you. They can find me on Instagram at lightfinderpr. It's L-I-G-H-T, like be the light and be love. And love that. Guys, if you like this episode, give me a like and a review and share it with anyone you think needs to hear Grace's story today. Also, make sure you follow me for more inspiring stories to come. Until next time at Raw and Real with Stephanie Fernandez. Bye now.